welcome to Living Freely Podcast, where our mission is to provide you with down-to-earth topics on mental wellness and realistic tips for living life more balanced and achieving optimal mental health. Living Freely Podcast is brought to you by Norfolk, Virginia Public Libraries and is hosted by myself, Rachel Ann Dine, licensed professional counselor with 15 years in the mental health field and very passionate about providing you with realistic strategies. With new episodes coming out weekly. Join in as I tackle relevant topics for personal growth, one podcast episode at a time. Be well and live well. Hi, and welcome back to Living Freely. I'm so glad that you have joined in again today because for the most part, I'm sure that if you're listening, either one, you have an interest in mental health and mental wellness and therefore have some knowledge of the topics that are going to be on the show, anxiety and depression. And this could be a great review if you are already familiar and well-versed. Perhaps you already know I do have anxiety or I do have to manage my symptoms of depression. Then this episode is going to be a great review of some of the symptoms, the treatment, how to recognize. And for those of you who may be questioning, okay, what is anxiety? What is depression? Do I have these symptoms? What is it like? Then this is also going to be a great episode where I'm just going to break down in their entirety what anxiety is and what depression is, some coping strategies that you can employ, and then how to find a mental health therapist because that is an important part of any journey to wellness for so many people is to reach out to somebody who you connect with and can talk to and receive individualized treatment to learn how to manage symptoms that may be occurring in your life. But before I jump in to these different clinical issues and diagnoses, I just want to go ahead and validate one more time that if in your own life you have been experiencing exacerbated symptoms of depression or anxiety, know that in the period of time that we are living in, it is appropriate to the situation There is so much pandemic fatigue where on top of being amidst a pandemic, we are also continuing to have to deal with the everyday stresses of life, which I have alluded to in other episodes, but I just have to bring up one more time today. In addition to that, we're being asked to do more with less. And if you compound that with Like I was saying, the everyday life stressors, maybe you're being bombarded at work because there had to be layoffs. And so now your job has expanded. Maybe you are having to work from home and teach your kids from home. Maybe you have lost your job or are running into financial difficulties because of our current situation. And then you add on societal issues that are occurring, um, world issues that are happening, and it's a lot. It is definitely a heavy time. So if you do recognize some of these things going on or you already know, I am definitely anxious or depressed, then we are certainly going to talk through some of these things. Of course, this episode is not meant to make any kind of diagnoses or anything of that nature, but just to provide you with some down-to-earth information so that you are empowered, so that you have that sense of knowledge 
going through your days and potentially can use this information to check in with the people who you love and care about because that is so important. So let's go ahead and start. So I'm going to go ahead and start with discussing anxiety, then we'll move to depression, when to reach out for help, and how to reach out to a therapist, Um, and then some coping strategies that you can employ that can be helpful to manage anxiety and depression. So let me go ahead and preface anxiety by mentioning that the experience of anxiety on an occasional level is a completely normal, typical part of living. In fact, we as humans, it's impossible and I would be remiss not to say that anxiety is normal. It is definitely part of the existence of being human. Whether it is an everyday situation, maybe at work you're feeling anxious because your company just shifted to online only and you're anxious about the technology piece of how this is going to work. Completely appropriate. Any kind of first-time situation is always going to elicit a sense of anxiety. Um from maybe you get anxious every time you get on I-64, and that is completely appropriate because that can be anxiety-provoking. The difference with what is considered typical anxiety and more clinical level of anxiety is whether or not the symptoms of anxiety are impairing your functioning of daily living. So if that anxiety about driving on I-64 becomes so intense that at all costs you avoid it, you end up quitting your job because you don't want to drive on the highway, then that could potentially be considered impairing your level of daily functioning. Because if you can't hop on the highway to get to your job, how will you make an income? And maybe the only place that you can work is, you know, in a different area of Hampton Roads. Just something to think about. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. So again, have to preface it with the fact of whether or not you're experiencing mild anxiety here and there, that's, that is par for the course of living life as a human being. However, people with what we consider in the mental health field as having generalized anxiety disorder frequently have intense, excessive and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations, okay? So that's the key piece is that there are this excessive and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. So oftentimes, anxiety disorders will also involve really repeated episodes of sudden feelings of intense anxiety and fear or terror that reach a peak within minutes and then dissipate. And this is also your classic panic attack. Um, And then for the sake of the show today, of course, I like my empirically validated and evidence-based resources. I am pulling some information from mayoclinic.org, Anxiety Symptoms and Causes, great article. Um, But in getting back, so some of the different examples of anxiety disorders include like I've mentioned, generalized anxiety disorder, which is what I specialize in in my private practice. Um, There's social anxiety disorder, so social phobias, 
specific phobias and separation anxiety disorder. And the truth be told, you can kind of have symptoms of each specific clinical issue. Um, sometimes not one size fits all, if so to speak. And so if you've ever heard of some of these other disorders, you know, the phobias um, or separation anxiety disorder, and maybe, okay, so maybe with one of your phobias, it's an intense fear of flying. Um, and then in addition to that, you also have an intense fear of driving over water. Those are kind of some of the common themes that I've heard before. And then you also maybe experience that anxiety about driving in general or giving a presentation at work, it starts to become this generalized experience of anxiety across places, things, and even people sometimes. So let's take it a step further. Let's talk a little bit about the symptoms of anxiety. And so some of the most common anxiety signs and symptoms include feeling nervous, restless, or tense, having a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom. So this experience is one where you can't quite put your finger on it, but you almost just have this sense of dread inwardly. Um, and it's hard to pinpoint any kind of concrete evidence to validate that something negative is going to happen. Okay, so then we've also got our classic and hallmark symptom of having an increased heart rate, that's par for the course. That's very typical when you feel anxious. Um, breathing rapidly so that hyperventilation, sweating, trembling, feeling weak or tired, trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry, having trouble sleeping. And let me go ahead and just add that with having trouble sleeping, sometimes this can be a result of what we refer to as thought rumination. And it's where, you know, I think most people have experienced this. You lay down to go to bed at night and all of a sudden your brain comes alive and you start going down the rabbit trail of what if this happens? What if that happens? Oh my gosh, I have so much to do, this, that. That is what can definitely impact your sleep but then this can also happen in your waking state. So those the thought rumination, replaying events, um, really kind of, I call it spinning. So the thoughts start kind of spinning out of control. And before you know it, you are breathing rapidly or you're having an increased heart rate. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Now, another piece that sometimes people miss when it comes to anxiety symptoms is a lot of times anxiety can bring gastrointestinal problems. So like I've talked about in previous episodes, anxiety and depression, if left untreated and if if just completely ignored, it will manifest in physiological ways, so through our bodies. And that's why sometimes stomach upset can occur. I always encourage folks, if you are experiencing those, those gastrointestinal issues, to make sure to go in to your PCP, your primary care physician. Make sure that all of your, your blood tests come back normal. You're tested for allergies because we know um, allergies to gluten, uh, to to certain foods, they can cause gastrointestinal symptoms. But if all of those things are ruled out, 
there is a potential that it is anxiety that's causing exacerbation in stomach-related issues. Okay, so in addition to that, um, we've already mentioned that having difficulty controlling worry, that is a huge one when it comes to anxiety. It almost feels like your thoughts are controlling you versus you controlling your thoughts. And that's, I do a lot of work around that in my private practice. I think it's super important that we stay in control of our thoughts so that they don't control us and impact our behavior and our mood. Last but not least, having the urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety. This is a biggie. So when we actively avoid experiences that trigger those symptoms of anxiety, all it does is create this delayed effect. Just because in that moment we have avoided the feeling of anxiety um, doesn't mean that it is going to be gone forever. And in fact, avoidance of what makes you anxious only causes the anxiety to grow. This is something I talk about all the time, whether it is you start to develop this fear of leaving your home, which would be completely appropriate in many ways considering we're in the midst of COVID. However, if you notice that, okay, now I am actively refusing to leave the house, anytime I do leave the house, I am starting to you know, develop that rapid breathing. I feel lightheaded, dizzy. Um, It is something to keep in mind because we don't want to actively ever engage in avoidance so much so that we don't give some attention to what's making us feel anxious because in that anxiety, as I've already said, it just grows. So it's something... I think sometimes it's a human's nature to engage in that sense of avoidance because, my gosh, anxiety can be very uncomfortable. But just remembering that if I continue to avoid it, my anxiety around this is going to grow. And sometimes it happens on daily things. So it could be on assertive communication. Maybe you're so anxious about being assertive that you just avoid it at all cost. Well, before you know it, you have not learned the skills to be assertive so that when a situation comes up where it is imperative to be assertive, the anxiety is so high, it just prevents you from even taking action and the anxiety takes over. Last thing I want to comment on the symptoms of anxiety. So I've talked about if they're ignored that they can grow and they can manifest themselves physiologically, so through the body. But a common experience that can happen is with a panic attack, a lot of people define it or describe it as it feeling like a heart attack. So your breath, it can be hard to catch your breath. Your breathing can become so rapid. You know, you start sweating, you start trembling, and then you can kind of develop almost that tunnel vision. It can be a scary situation. Um, And so in those situations, if that has ever happened to you or you know someone who's suffering from panic attacks, to me, that's a definite opportunity where I encourage you to seek out a therapist, a counselor, to be able to work through and learn some anxiety de-escalation skills. So that's my caveat statement about, you know, 
just jumping into it a little bit early, but that is definitely my caveat statement to encouraging you to seek treatment. If you're a parent of a child and you're noticing that, talking to them about engaging in therapy, um, definitely, because panic attacks, that's not necessarily a pleasant way to live. And there are ways to reduce those episodes. I've seen it so many times. So putting that out there to empower you. Now, because there are a rather long list of different anxiety-related issues, I really want to stick with generalized anxiety disorder. This one is very prevalent, and I find it to be in in the therapy world, we all subscribe and follow this manual called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM-5. And so generalized anxiety disorder is within that manual. And it does, it's interesting because for me, it is a commonly diagnosed um, mental health condition. So generalized anxiety disorder includes persistent and excessive anxiety and worry about activities or events even ordinary routine issues. The worry is out of proportion to the actual circumstance. The worry is difficult to control and affects how you feel physically. It often can occur along with other anxiety disorders or depression. So the key statement here, because I don't want anyone to hear this and think, okay, I feel anxious. I've got something really seriously wrong with me. Because as we've already said, feeling anxious on a day-to-day basis in a lot of ways is an adaptive quality. Anxiety can help protect you from getting involved in something that you're not supposed to, avoiding danger. Um, If you start feeling anxious, you know, it's late at night and you're walking out to your car and it's in an isolated area and you've got that anxiety, you're probably going to be hypervigilant and watching to make sure that you're safe. That's not maladaptive. That's an adaptive component of experiencing anxiety. But the issue presents itself when the worry is out of proportion to the actual circumstance. So I'm going to go back to just an easy-to-use example. Let's say that for the first time in a long time, you have to give a presentation, whether it's at work or college or school, and the anxiety becomes so high that you're thinking that you're going to get fired. And you haven't even given the presentation, but you've already got it in your mind. I'm going to be so bad at this presentation, I will get fired. That's when it's in disproportion to the actual situation. So hopefully that is a good kind of way to decipher when it becomes truly something where treatment would be of benefit. Um So I'm going to run through a couple quick risk factors to anxiety and the development of such. So any kind of trauma, so any any children who or adults who endured abuse or trauma or witnessed traumatic events are at higher risk of developing an anxiety disorder at some point in life. And, you know, like I've said, adults and children, this is applicable stress due to an illness. So having a health condition or any kind of serious illness can cause significant worry about issues such as your treatment and your future, rightfully so. Okay, here's a huge one, especially for the time that we're living in now. Stress buildup. 
So a big event or a buildup of smaller, stressful life situations may start to trigger that excessive anxiety, especially if the stress is not being dealt with. So let's just say, for example, there's a death in the family, then you've got work stress, and then ongoing worry about finances on top of it. And how applicable is that example in the time that we're living in? We as humans are under an exorbitant amount of stress. And so I just have to go ahead and put that out there because I don't know if people are validated in your everyday life as much as you should be. So I just want to validate you. Okay. So then we've got certain personality types that are more prone to anxiety disorders than others. And so for those, I'm going to say, Individuals who are more type A, more orderly, more perfectionistic, more high achieving, absolutely. Those are, those are, this is a, the client population who I specialize in. And there's a whole other thread of anxiety called high functioning anxiety that's associated with personality, um, causing almost a predisposition to develop anxiety. But definitely personality can go into the development. Um, any, if you have any kind of relatives who have an anxiety disorder, we know there is a huge genetic link to such. And then drugs and alcohol. So drug or alcohol use or misuse or withdrawal can absolutely cause or worsen anxiety. We know that alcohol is a depressant, but it also impacts the neurotransmitters that are naturally occurring in our bodies and there can be a decrease in serotonin and dopamine that I've talked about before in previous shows, but with that decrease can then leave more space for anxiety to ensue. So this is the um, kind of overview of what anxiety looks like and what kind of signs and symptoms to keep an eye out for when you are considering whether or not some of these become applicable to you. Now, moving on really quickly, we're going to jump right into talking about signs and symptoms of depression. So when we think about the signs and symptoms of depression, I also want to go ahead and preface this topic with the mere fact that feeling sadness in life is natural. That is how human beings were ultimately designed to be. We are complex creatures that have experienced a just variety of different emotions. And so I also, just like with anxiety, when I talk about depression, if you are experiencing sadness related to a current situation that you're having to deal with or a past situation, in many ways, it's appropriate. Um, that's also something if, you know, when people decide to go on medication, the medication shouldn't be in place to numb you out completely and make you void of all emotional experiences. It should be there to help you kind of um, in a lot of ways take the edge off and be able to better manage whatever you're going through. Um, but in and of itself, the experience of emotions 100% is not negative. It is healthy. So if you find even right now in the midst of everything that we're going through, you're experiencing the pandemic fatigue. You're experiencing the sadness over the loss of how life used to be, of 
seeing things on the news that are upsetting to you, of dealing with family issues that are upsetting. Once again, that is part of being human. However, I'll I'll put it just like I did with anxiety because this is the clinical rule of thumb. If your depression is significantly impairing your ability to function on a daily basis, that's when we need to reach out and and start looking at treatment modalities, whether it's therapy or medication, something of that nature, to help relieve you of those symptoms. So just in getting back to the overall informational definition of depression. Once again, I am pulling some of this from the National Institute of Mental Health, Mental Health Topics and Depression article because they really laid it out beautifully. But depression is a common but can be serious mood disorder. It causes severe symptoms that affect how you feel, think, and handle daily activities, such as sleeping, eating, or working. This is key. So to be diagnosed with depression, the symptoms must be present for at least two weeks. Now, much like anxiety, depression, there are a multitude of different forms of depression. So persistent depressive disorder, postpartum depression is a big one where hormonally things may be um, off kilter after delivering a baby. So that definitely postpartum is huge. Uh, There can be, we've talked about it, seasonal affective disorder, which is 100% a form of depression where seasonally you may notice an increase in depressive symptoms related to not getting enough sunlight, um, all of the above. And then last but not least, bipolar disorder. So we know bipolar disorder encompasses two different sides. There's typically manic symptoms. So you're in an elevated mood state and then you slip into the depressive state. But bipolar disorder is also a mood disorder and um, has these symptoms of depression. So now you may be thinking, well, what exactly are these signs and symptoms? How do I know? Am I feeling depressed? Is you know my brother feeling depressed or my husband or my wife? Well, let's we're going to break it down. So Here's the key. If you've been or you know somebody who has been experiencing some of the following signs and symptoms most of the day, nearly every day for at least two weeks, there may be the presence of depression. So number one, we've got persistent, sad, anxious, or empty mood. And so for empty mood, I refer to that almost as a numbness, just not really feeling, just kind of flat. So Persistent, sad, anxious, or empty mood, feelings of hopelessness or pessimism. And this this has got to be very consistent. And it's it's even more key if the person, whether it's you or someone you're thinking of, I mean, we all know there can be those kind of grumpy but lovable folks out there, and we know that's just who they are. That's their personality. But if you've noticed that you have become increasingly hopeless or pessimistic, and that is not who you usually are, let's keep an eye on it. Okay, next we've got irritability. This is a huge one. Irritability, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, or helplessness, loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities, major. This is a hallmark criterion. If you used to love creating art, 
or um, I don't know, it could be playing a game with your family. And now you have no interest. All you want to do is kind of sequester yourself in your bedroom. The thought of even creating that piece of art or trying a new recipe or mowing the lawn, whatever it could be, if it just feels so exhausting and just you're completely disinterested, this is also something to absolutely keep in mind. The next one is decreased energy or fatigue, moving or talking more slowly. So sometimes people describe it as feeling as if you're you're waiting underneath water. You're just kind of trying to get through and it feels so hard. Okay, then we've got feeling restless or having trouble sitting still, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions, difficulty sleeping, early morning awakening, or huge, oversleeping. These are big. So we know any kind of anxiety or depression can absolutely cause some insomnia and really start to disrupt your sleep schedule. Once that sleep schedule gets disrupted, though, it can greatly impact mood and exacerbate symptoms even more. Keep it in mind. Then we've got appetite or weight changes. So weight gain or maybe in the midst of depression or anxiety, you're not even able to eat, and so you're experiencing rapid weight loss. It can go either way. Certainly, thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts. We've talked about this in previous episodes. That is the biggest indicator. It is time to reach out to a therapist, go to the local nearest emergency department if you are actively experiencing suicidal thoughts. Um and talk to your primary care physician about medication or get plugged in with a psychiatrist who is specially trained in administering antidepressant medications. Okay, so then last but not least, there can sometimes even be, once again, those physiological symptoms, aches or pains, headaches, cramps, digestive problems without a clear physical cause and don't seem to ease up, even with, let's say you've got um, heartburn or gastrointestinal issues and you're taking your Pepto-Bismol um, or you know whatever over-the-counter medication to ease symptoms. In the past, it's been super helpful, but this time it's not touching it. This is something not to neglect and to keep in your mind. So a couple caveat statements. Because y'all know I love my caveat statement. So not everyone who is experiencing depression or even anxiety is going to experience every single symptom every single day. That is kind of the interesting piece of one, being a human, is that we all handle our emotions and our stress and our overwhelm differently. So where some people experience only a few symptoms Others can experience all of them, and they can be at varying levels of degree. So you may feel not extremely depressed, um, still able to manage, but you may be aware that somebody in your family, um, you know, in thinking of that potential genetic predisposition, maybe they suffered from severe depression that was very debilitating. I'm just going to say it again, when it comes to mental health, not one size fits all. This How symptoms and issues manifest themselves 
is different for person to person. That is the beauty of seeing a therapist who you connect with and you love is that they are going to help and create an individualized plan with you on how to assist you in your everyday living. So keep that in mind. Symptoms can manifest themselves differently. Severity and frequency of symptoms and how long they last can also vary depending on the individual and his or her particular illness or even stress level. So sometimes there there is absolutely situational depression. So anything that's going on in your life that's particularly emotionally difficult, stressful, you better believe that symptoms of anxiety and depression can just come and rise up twofold. So the risk factors for depression are also similar to that of anxiety, but I'm just going to, you know, put it out there one more time. If there's any been any personal or family history of depression, certainly this can be Indicative for you that you may have that underlying genetic predisposition to experience some kind of mental health difficulty. Um, Any kind of major life changes. So trauma, stress, huge. And who isn't experiencing some kind of stress in the time that we are living? Even before COVID hit, stress abounds. Stress is a part of life. If you're able to manage it effectively and you're not experiencing high levels of depression or anxiety, typically you can fare decently. There may be some moments that are really difficult, but tack on the, you know, pleasant surprise of anxiety or depression coming up as a result of the stressful life event, and it can become very difficult. So keep that in mind. If you're going through a major life change, you know, getting a divorce, dealing with the death of a family member, losing your job, um, anything, any of that, know, just monitor yourself and how you're feeling. Last but not least, we also know that certain physical illnesses and even some medications can trigger symptoms of depression. So I have to now instill some hope. If you've been hearing this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, like either I am experiencing depression or anxiety or this resonates with me or now I'm really concerned about so-and-so, know that depression and anxiety, even in the most severe cases, can be treated. So now this is where I'm going to jump into some of the treatment modalities and techniques and then just some quick coping strategies that you can apply to your life um, just for overall wellness outside of whether or not you feel depressed or anxious. So the first encouragement when it comes to treatment and managing symptoms, okay, so I promise this is not a shameless plug because it's what I do for a living, but truly getting linked into a therapist is going to be vital. Um, And especially a therapist who specializes in anxiety or depression is key. That is a great way for you to start to explore, like I said, those individualized techniques and strategies to better manage symptoms of depression. So then we've also got the option to try medication. 
There is no shame in taking medicine, especially if you're under an immense amount of stress and it feels unbearable and like you can't handle it. Um, while I'm very holistic in my approach and I would rather somebody come and have at least six therapy sessions and let's really heavy hit what is going on, I also readily recognize when the time comes where, hey, you put in a great amount of effort into the therapy relationship, but I really think at this point you're going to benefit. There is no shame in going on any kind of medication. Just like you take potentially a medication for a health-related issue, maybe you have high blood pressure, maybe you have to take insulin because you're diabetic. The same can be said about treating mental health as a medical issue. So just like you take that blood pressure medication, why not take your medication for feeling depressed? It kind of goes without saying. And I think it's a nice reframe um, for people who maybe don't feel comfortable with the thought of taking medication. And certainly, like I'm saying, I am very holistic in my approach. I would much rather let's try therapy first, depending on the severity of the symptoms. Um, so either way, at, either way, at the end of the day, you're always going to have to do what works best for you. So whether your family looks down upon therapy or looks down upon medication, this is your life and you get to make the choice about what your treatment looks like and how you want to tackle your stress. So I've alluded before about the three pillars of wellness, but when you're experiencing anxiety and depression, these are so key. So always, always assessing how much are you eating? What are you putting into your body? This is food-wise. This is substance-wise. How much exercise are you getting? Are you physically moving or are you just giving up on the exercise piece? We know that when we move our bodies, it is healing and it allows the expression of emotions to leave the body. So what are you eating and putting in your body? How much are you moving your body? And then again, how much sleep are you getting? Are you getting little to no sleep? Are you sleeping too much? All of these are key ingredients for just mood stability overall. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but when I don't get a good night's sleep, I am not the best person. You know, you're typically more irritable, a little grumpy. Our bodies are designed for sleep. So try to be active and exercise. And on kind of this, you know, emotional level, when trying to overcome symptoms of anxiety and depression, it is so beneficial to set realistic goals for yourself. So let's say that you're hearing this podcast and it, it resonates with you. You say, okay, I haven't been exercising. And as a result, I feel, I don't feel, I don't feel as well. I don't feel very good. So I'm going to start exercising seven days a week and I haven't been exercising at all. Okay, that is something to definitely keep in mind and ask yourself, is it realistic um, to go from, and I'm just using this example because it's readily coming to my mind, but if you have stopped exercising, it's been a year, and now you've set this goal, all right, seven days a week, I'm getting out there, I'm going to go for a walk, I'll go to the gym. I want you to be really realistic with yourself, and it is okay for you to say, you know what, I'm going to do twice a week. So for me, going from no exercise to then twice a week, 
what a realistic and achievable goal. So if you've exercised at least twice a week, anything above that is a bonus. You're not going to beat yourself up for not going. Um, So really, in all facets of life, set realistic goals. Not trying to discourage you. If you are, you know, one of those people, I'm going to set that goal and I'm going to make it happen, I say go for it. But in terms of just being compassionate with yourself and realistic in your everyday life, I'm all about setting realistic goals that you can achieve. Um, So one of the other strategies I would encourage you to do is really try to spend time with other people who you love and you care about and that also you can confide in whether it's a trusted friend or a relative. The key point with this is that when you're feeling depressed or anxious, a lot of times the brain can try to tell you that you need to isolate yourself. Oh, don't make the effort. Nobody cares. It is going to be so vital for you to fight against that natural thought that can sometimes pop up and shoot out that text message, send the Facebook message, um, call up the friend, Go see a friend um, doing something where you're not isolating yourself and letting those negative thoughts win out on you. Okay, now here, and speaking of being realistic, a huge one is expect your mood to improve gradually, not immediately. When it comes to recovering from anxiety and depression it's not a snap of the fingers oh my gosh i'm i'm everything's healed it's perfect it is a process because so much more goes into managing stress managing anxiety and depression than most of us think or you know give credit to um it's really such a deeper mind, body, and spirit level. It's what kind of thoughts am I having on a daily basis? Um, Once again, those three pillars of wellness that I talk about, um, what am I doing every day to try to make myself feel better? And as we all know, change takes time. Change is not an overnight process. So really, really being realistic and understanding that, you know, for example, maybe thinking, okay, I've had three good days. Why am I all of a sudden feeling panicky or super depressed? And in those moments, letting yourself know, okay, because this is a process. Healing is not linear. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a perfect, I'm going to do all the things and I will feel this intense sense of relief. There are going to be some days where you feel really good and then you're starting to feel anxious or depressed again. This is when to really lean on the people that you love and trust and get connected with your therapist and and talk it out and see if there's something else deeper going on. Um, So last but not least, always, always be empowered to continue your own education about yourself and your personal journey with depression and anxiety. Um, just in the process of growing with life, I don't, I don't know if we ever stop growing. In fact, I know we don't. There's always going to be something that happens that we can really learn from it. And I especially apply this to anything mental health-wise. Um, and when you think of anxiety and depression, understanding what what can I learn from this? Do I need to tweak something going on in my life 
Um, Am I in a very unhealthy relationship that's causing me to have this increase in depression? What's happening here? So never stop your own self-education and getting in touch with you, just like I talked about in episode two, Achieving Work-Life Balance. It all does start with you. Your personal growth journey is going to look differently than anyone else's, and that's okay because it's your life and it's your journey. So make it work for you. Last but not least, when reaching out for a therapist, I think the first couple things to think about, and we are talking about this a lot more deeply in our next episode, but just as a quick, um, you know, kind of shout out to starting the therapeutic process. First, in the midst of where we are right now, decide whether or not you would want to go in person or online. I will share that um, I've been fully online now for the past several months, and I love it. I love it. I haven't really heard a whole lot of complaints. I mean, certainly I miss seeing people in person, but it's just as effective. And if you can, you know, get away for an hour or go sit in your car right out front of your house just to have some free space for you, super convenient. But decide, would I feel more comfortable in person or online? And then what what kind of therapist would I want to go to? Would I want to see a man, a woman? Do I want them to be my age? Do I want them to be older? Start to kind of generate your own idea. And then just do a quick and brief Google search. That would be the first step. If you're interested, just because you're searching on the internet does not mean that you need to call right then and there and make the appointment. Um, But just starting the process of seeing who is out there, who's taking new clients, who's available is key. And talk about feeling empowered. Um, And then, of course, I'm going to give my old throwback shout out. Uh, You'll hear me talk about this. Check out www.psychologytoday.com. I have noticed because I often go on there to look for referral sources uh, just for my own practice. It is constantly evolving and being updated. So even if you looked on it six months ago, I encourage you, go take another peek at it again. And last but not least, check in with your really close friends and family members who you actively trust, that you don't feel judged by, you feel supported by. Ask them, who would they recommend? Do they have somebody who they've ever gone to or a good friend of theirs? Word of mouth and checking in with the people that you love and trust can be so vital in finding a therapist who you click with. So final kind of wrap-up statements on this day-to-day life that we're in. Know that experiencing anxiety, experiencing symptoms of depression is going to happen. The key transitional caveat rule of thumb statement is that if those symptoms of anxiety and depression are truly impairing your ability to function at your fullest on a daily basis, That is the tipping point where I encourage you, go ahead and make the appointment with with a therapist or get set up with a psychiatrist, talk about medication options, but truly overcoming anxiety and depression is most efficacious and effective when you start medication and also go see a therapist. Because we don't want to just slap a Band-Aid on um, and have, a, you know, all of a sudden a decrease in symptoms, but not understand some of the more um, 
thought tools to changing negative thoughts and actively using mindfulness and relaxation training to deal with the anxiety or coping strategies via cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of my go-tos for depression. So I just go ahead and put that out there, something for you to think about, chew on, and I'm just really glad that you have joined in for today to talk about anxiety and depression, two topics that I'm very passionate about and that I really love providing information in about just to let you know if these things are coming up for you, you're not alone. But now you are hopefully armed with more knowledge about how to evaluate when is the time to reach out to a provider and what exactly to be looking for. So as always, I hope that you live well and that I hope that you are being well. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Living Freely Podcast, where we are bringing you all of the down-to-earth and realistic information on achieving optimal mental health. Like what you've heard, consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can be enjoyed by other listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We will see you next week.